right, let's put our hands together for that. We're excited for these opportunities to reach families and kids. And uh, if you're interested in helping out with that, there are, is a sign-up poster out in the lobby. And uh, I'd also encourage you to see Dara today and uh, find out ways that you can serve within this and uh, support these four families that are hosting this. Um, if you say, hey, I, I'm working, I, don't, I can't do that during the day, you could sign up to pray during that time. Pray during that time for uh, those families as they're reaching people in their neighborhoods. And so lots of ways to engage this as a church. Well, we are continuing our series, uh, Disciple, and we're looking at part two of what it means to be partners in the mission of Jesus. Trust and pray that you were doing well and you survived the Canadian smoke. Everybody survived the Canadian smoke. You can go a lot of places with that, but I guess we should just go ahead and move forward and preach, okay? Um, and so I uh, hope everybody is doing okay after all of the smoke. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, if you'll turn there, and we're going to look at uh, the same verses we looked at last week, but we're going to focus in on verse 33 and 34 today. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Jesus says this in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to lean in, to listen, to hear the words of life and to be changed by them. God, your word is living 
and it's active and it's sharper than a scalpel. And it gets down to the joints and the marrow. So God, I pray that today you would do what you need to do in our lives and that we would walk out of here different, less anxious, more kingdom-minded people. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? So we've been in this series entitled Disciple, and it's all about continuing to come back to this question, what does it mean to be a disciple? And we say this here at Mosaic, simply put, it means to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now that sounds very simple, but it's very hard to live. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. For us to be the disciple that Jesus calls us to be, we have to reorganize all of our life around those three things. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Last week we talked about the thing that is plaguing all of us, and that is worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety. Even by me mentioning those words, it creates anxiety, right? You're like, really? We're coming back to this? I thought we were going to get to the solution. We are, but I want to give us a little bit of a recap where we've been. You see, we are tempted to worry about the big things and the small things. Things that matter a lot and things don't, don't matter at all. We're worried about tomorrow. We know this. Jesus mentions us this in this very passage. He says, does it add anything to your life? It's this rhetorical question because Jesus understands that worry and anxiety don't add to your life. In fact, they take away from your life. Jesus understands that anxiety and worry does this thing to our brain chemistry and our body, and it actually causes us to live less. Fewer years, it causes ailments, maladies, and he points to the ridiculous nature of it by saying, look at the birds of the field, the, the lilies of the field. He points us to these things in nature and reminds us that Birds don't take high blood pressure medicine. They don't have sleep apnea. Why? Because they know that God takes care of them. And then in this loving phrase, it's so easy to miss this, Jesus says this to you and me, are you not more valuable than them? Are you not more valuable than the birds, than the lilies? I've got a better life for you than worrying about food, clothing, shelter, and how long you will live. He repeats this command of not being anxious and worried to get our attention. Jesus is showing us that our worry reveals something significant about our hearts and our trust in God. We saw last week that we cannot build our kingdom and God's kingdom at the same time. That building our kingdom 
apart from God's kingdom, leaves us in a place of anxiety and worry. That you cannot live a life free of worry and anxiety when you are inviting God to build your kingdom. But when you seek first his kingdom, he's inviting you into a better life. He helps us to see that seeking his kingdom first is the place that leads us to a life without worry. We can replace our anxiety with a deep and steadfast confidence in God. I don't know about you, but I often worry and don't pray. And when I think about those times when I worry and I'm prayerless, it's because I'm trying to build my own kingdom. And then I respond with prayer to try to invite God into that. And I'm like, why am I still so worried? Why am I still so anxious? And it's because I don't trust God. And I'm met with my own fragility and my own inability. And so God gives us, through Jesus' sermon here, the solution. And that's being partners in the mission of Jesus. So you can write down our big idea for today is this. Seeking God's kingdom is essential in being partners in the mission of Jesus. Seeking God's kingdom is essential in being partners in the mission of Jesus. So let's be super clear about this. The mission of Jesus, the mission of Jesus is all about the kingdom of God. The mission of Jesus is all about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is all about his rule and reign. It's all about the king. The kingdom of God is all about the king and it's about all about his rule and reign. And his righteousness is his means and his activity in your life to be about the kingdom of God. So it, it's really, really simple. We've been saying this over and over. It's really simple, but it's hard to understand. It, it, it's not complex. It's actually simple, but it's hard to live. It's hard to embrace. You see, our partnership in the kingdom of God and his righteousness is for the purpose of his glory and his fame being spread throughout the world. It's God's activity in the world and his rule and reign being set up. That's the kingdom of God. And our partnership is possible because Jesus lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserved he was buried and he rose from the dead. And by his Holy Spirit, he drew you and me into a relationship with him for the purpose of building his kingdom. Seeing his rule and reign expanded among peoples and nations across the world. That's why you're still here. That's why you've got a pulse. That's why this church exists. Did you know this? That one day, this church won't exist. One day, None of the churches will exist. That the church is God's vehicle in the world to expanding his kingdom. That's God's purpose of the church. To see his rule and reign expanded so that in all of eternity we would worship the king. So 
This is a temporary vehicle that God has instituted, put in place. It's really, really important. But the purpose of it is so that God's kingdom would be expanded among peoples and nations so that his rule and reign would be glorified. That's why the church exists. So, with that being said, we're going to see three things this morning about seeking God's kingdom and how it's essential in being partners in the mission of Jesus. We're going to see the approach, we're going to see the definition, and then we're going to see the promise. Real simple. Seems real Baptist, right? It's not alliterated, but it's three simple points. We're going to see the approach. Everybody say the approach. We're going to see the definition, and we're going to see the promise. Let's look at the approach. The approach. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So you can underline that phrase, seek first. This is the approach. So the approach that we often experience in this life is anxiety and fear and worry about food, clothing, shelter, and how long we live. Jesus is offering us an alternative to that life. And he's saying the alternative to that life, a different approach to living is not anxiety and fear and worry, but it's seeking first. Everybody say seeking first. Oh, you didn't mean it, so we're going to have to say it again. Seeking first. There we go. Say it from your chest like you mean it. Okay, seeking first. There's only one approach that is the alternative to living with an anxious life, and that's seeking first. You see, this is a word to believers. This phrase right here is a word to believers. And, and what Jesus is saying, he's saying with some assumptions. You know, every time someone gets up to speak, whether it's in a sermon or a public setting, they do their best to not make assumptions, but it's impossible to not make some. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He understands that there are some people who are listening in, and he addresses them to some degree by saying Gentiles. In other words, this broad understanding of those who don't believe in God, who don't believe in Jesus, that he's the Messiah. He, he does speak to them, but he's making the assumption that those who are hearing him are disciples. You see, sinners may seek the benefits that God provides, but they do not seek God. We know this because Paul says this in Romans 3.10. He says, none is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. In other words, Lost people don't seek God, they seek the results that God can give them. That's not seeking God. That's like seeking a pill or a magic potion or a genie that will answer their problems and their maladies. That's not seeking God, that's actually seeking a solution. So Jesus says here, seek first. You know, Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So only salvation is found through the person and work of Jesus, and Jesus seeks us out. 
then once he has found us and we repent of our sins and we turn our lives over to him and we make him the Lord of our lives, we can now engage in what Jesus says here. Seek first. So the approach to living as disciples is seeking first. We have to pay attention to the words. The command here is not to seek God. Jesus assumes that his disciples seek him. It's it's very subtle, but Jesus assumes that his disciples are already seeking him. So what does he say? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus could have said a lot of different things here as the answer to our anxiety. He could have said, seek me above everything else. He could have said, seek my word. He doesn't say that. He says, seek the kingdom of God. Seek the rule and reign of God. Seek seeing his kingdom expanded in nations and cities and towns and villages all across the world. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I think this is so subtle, but essentially what Jesus is saying is he's saying, you're seeking your own kingdom, food, clothing, shelter, and how long you will live is killing you. But if you seek my rule and reign and my righteousness, you'll let go of your worry. You'll realize just how small your kingdom is and just how big my kingdom is. Jesus is very subtle here, but he's very clear because the approach is partnership in seeking first the kingdom. This word does not refer to what's first in a series or order. So when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, seek first my kingdom, then seek your career. Seek first my kingdom, then seek your marriage being great. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then seek out a great vacation to go on. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not first in an order. Here's what Jesus is saying. Seek me first in your marriage. Seek me first in your career. Seek me first in where you're going to go on vacation. Seek me first. You write the list of all the things, and guess what? I'm building my kingdom in every single one of those. My rule and reign has no limits. That's what Jesus is saying. My rule and reign has no limits. There's no off-limit places to the kingdom of God in your life. He wants to be first in your career. He wants to be first in your marriage. He wants to be first in your plans this summer. He wants to be first. And if you'll put him first, it's amazing how all these things start to fall into place. You see, to put anything ahead of God is the worst thing that we can do because we've just replaced God's kingdom with my kingdom. So Jesus is saying the way that we approach this thing of being partners in the mission of Jesus is seeking first. So the question is, is what does this approach practically look like? 
Well, I gave you some broad examples, seeking God first in your family, seeking God first in your career, seeking God first in your possessions, seeking God first in your time and in your money. Well, let me give you a really practical one. Two years ago, just a little, like a week over two years ago, we came and I became the lead pastor here at this church. How that all happened is a really great story, and I think it ties into seeking first. So fast, go backwards, rewind, even another year before that. We're in the middle of COVID, and we decide we would like to buy a house. I don't know if you remember 2021, January 2021, and what was happening in the housing market. It was crazy. Just about as crazy as it is now, but like, it was just, it was wild, wild west. People buying houses, no home inspection, no appraisal, no, not even seeing them. Oh, that one's available? Let me put an offer in. Like on Zillow. So we were renting a house in Manassas. I was an elder at Pillar Church of Dumfries, working full-time for the North American Mission Board, Sin Network, still what I do. And uh, we were looking for a house. Our lease was coming up. Our landlord was like, you have to be out in June. Would you be interested? We asked him in selling the house to us. He kind of hemmed and hawed and then finally got back to us in February and said, no. You have between February and June to find a place to live. So in February, Valentine's Day, we drove out, we found a house on Apple Mountain, we put an offer in, and by that next day, we heard back that they didn't accept our offer because they took an all-cash, no-appraisal, no-home-inspection offer. So now we have, you know, the rest of February, March, April, and May to find a place to, to live, we went under contract for another house in Manassas that was a fixer-upper. Literally did, we, literally did we not know that it was more than a fixer-upper. We got a home inspection, and during the home inspection, they said it needs a new roof, it needs new plumbing, and it needs new electric. <laughs> so we went back to him and said, would you take $75,000 less? And he took the house off the market. So now it's the end of March. We need to find a place to live. We have April and May, two months to either buy a house. I don't know if you know about the housing buying process. It doesn't happen real, 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 real fast. And uh, especially when you're a pastor, okay? And uh, we had some money to put down, but it was like we would have to jump through every hoop and find the right situation. And so I remember me and Jessica having this conversation, and we began to look, and we started looking farther and farther out from where we were living in Prince William County. Michael's over here doing this. He knows what it feels like. And I remember Jessica looked at me, and she said, I don't think God is calling us to just buy a house. Our whole life, we have essentially built our lives around building God's kingdom through God's church. So we're not going to just build or buy a house in the middle of nowhere as much as we would want to. As much as I would love to have acres and be able to hunt and live out in the middle of nowhere, have no neighbors, she's like, I'm not sure that God's calling us to that.
And so we began to pray and ask God to open up the right door. I was on a trip for work, and it was end of March, middle of March, and um, scrolling through, I'm, I'm paying a real estate agent to look for a house. And yet, I'm anxious, scrolling, looking, calling. And this house pops up, the house that we live in now. New construction dropped that day. That day. And I called my agent, called Jessica, I said, go look at it. It was on Wednesday night. They went and looked at it on a Thursday. Friday, I was flying back home. I went and looked at it, and we put an offer in on Friday. We were the only people to look at it. March of 21. The next weekend, so we put the offer in. It gets accepted. The next weekend, went to the elders' retreat at Pillar Dumfries and told them we were leaving. And Jessica said this to me, I guarantee you, when you tell Col- Pastor Colby and Pastor Clint, my friend who passed away this January, I guarantee you Clint will have something. He'll know of something. I'm down in North Carolina. I sit down at the table with Clint and Colby and said, hey, we're leaving. And he said, well, where are you going to go to church? And we said, well, we have three churches on our list that were within a 45-minute drive of our house. And he's like, well, is Mosaic on that list? Because they're looking for a pastor. You see, our intention in looking for a house was combined not with what we wanted, but with building God's kingdom. And so I know what it feels like to be anxious about not having a place to live. But I also know what it feels like to seek first his kingdom and the promise that we'll look at here in just a moment of all these things being added unto you. That's a practical example. Shelter's a really good thing to have, right? But seeking God's kingdom first is a better thing. That's what Jesus is saying. It's it's what the psalmist says in Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Seek Him first. Seek His kingdom first is what he's saying. The approach is continually pursuing his kingdom above everything else and before anything else. That's what he's saying. So that's the approach. He defines it. He says the definition of what you should seek first is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the approach is seeking first. The definition is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, Jesus doesn't leave it up to our imagination to figure out what we should seek first. Because he knows that we are prone to filling in the blanks, right? Have you ever been to an event that maybe has fill in the blanks for work? Or if you ever went to a church and they provided you an outline to fill in the blanks? If you're like me and you're a type A, I'm the whole time not listening, but trying to guess what the blanks are. You know, I'm trying to fill them in before we get there. And if they don't fill them all in, I'm upset, In fact, I might walk up to the stage or walk up to the communicator and say, you missed one. Can you give that one to me? Because I can't leave unless all the blanks are filled. God knows that we're like that, and so he fills in the blank for us about what we should seek first. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Tony Evans has this to say about this passage. He says, to seek his kingdom is to seek 
to live in accordance with his standards and his guidelines. That's his righteousness. His standards and his guidelines. So that's what I'm seeking first. God, what is your standard for my life? God, what is your approach to living? What are your guidelines? I'm going to seek that first before my own desires. Douglas Sean O'Donnell says this, it means that you live for the spread of the reign of Christ throughout the world. It means that you declare with your mouth and demonstrate with your life that you believe in Jesus. That you embrace the eternal king and his everlasting reign and that you passionately desire that his name should receive from all people everywhere the honor which it's due. What's that mean? That means that if there's any human being on the face of the earth that should not have anxiety but a great sense of responsibility about the way we ought to live, it's followers of Jesus. Essentially what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God, you can write this down, is his activity around me. The kingdom of God is God's activity around me and his righteousness is his activity in me. God's powerful and he's moving and he's building his kingdom and his kingdom seems small and insignificant, but it will one day fill the whole earth. Do you believe that? God's kingdom is significant and he is active and it's his activity in the world to see people come to faith and trust and belief in him and his righteousness is his activity in me. You see, our typical approach is this. God Please bless my will be done, my way, in my timing, for my glory. And in this passage, Jesus is basically saying, that's why you're anxious. That's why you're worried. So the question is, what would it look like to care more about his kingdom being expanded throughout the world than your kingdom being expanded? What would it look like for his righteousness to be expanded through partnering with his activity in you? So it's his activity in the world, that's God's kingdom, and his activity in you, that's his righteousness. Now I could give you loads of examples, but I'm just going to trust that if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's inside of you, and this week he's going to show you exactly what that means. I could go around and give you all kinds of examples, but God is more powerful to show you what his activity should look like in your life and how you can partner with him, how you can seek that first, and how you can partner with him in his righteousness, his activity in you. Answer that question this week. What would it look like to care more about his kingdom what would it look like to care about more of his righteousness? So the approach, seek first. The definition, his kingdom 
and His righteousness. And here's the promise. The promise is all these things will be added unto you. You see, God is making a promise to you and I as a disciple in this passage. The truth is, as we continually pursue His kingdom and His righteousness above everything else, God's will, done God's way, in God's timing, for God's glory, become the greatest thing to pursue. And the result of this is all these things will be added unto you. I I love how Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases this. Listen to verse 34 by Eugene Peterson. He says this, Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. What's God doing right now? He's expanding His kingdom, His rule and reign in cities and nations and villages and towns and people across the world, whether you and I are participating in it or not. God's rule and reign is being spread. He wants us to participate in that, but whether you do or don't is not going to stop God's kingdom. He is powerful. His rule and reign. So he says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. What is that? That's his kingdom being expanded in cities and nations, towns, villages across the world. And then he says, and don't get worked up about what, or what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when tomorrow comes. I love this. I love this. Because Jesus is saying, when you seek first my rule and reign, the kingdom of God, and my righteousness, what I'm doing in you, that all these things will be added unto you. Jesus is saying, this is my plan. My plan. H.B. Charles puts it this way. This is God's affirmative action program. This is God's social security system. This is God's faith-based initiative. If you seek his kingdom first, God will add everything you need. Why? Because God cares about his kingdom more than you. And he will be certain that it will be built. And if you're about building his kingdom, he will make sure you have everything you need. That's Jamie's paraphrase version. Hebrews 11.6 says it this way, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's the writer of Hebrews' way of saying exactly what Jesus says. You seek me first, and I'll make sure you have everything you need to build my kingdom. You'll have everything you need. So I was thinking about this and how to land the plane. And through a conversation this morning, I think I figured it out. What's the thing that keeps us from doing this? You say, well, you talked about that last week. It's worry and fear and anxiety. Yeah, but I want to tap into this specifically as we land the plane this morning. And I think there's one thing that's keeping you and I 
as disciples of Jesus from partnering in the mission of Jesus. And it's our expectations. We have unvoiced, unspoken, held back expectations. Forming expectations isn't a problem. It's when they go unvoiced or unspoken or unprocessed. You see, because when we do this, we can't adjust them. And when our expectations go unmet, the only choice we have is disappointment, worry, fear, and anxiety. You see, unrealistic, unspoken expectations are what leave us disappointed. We're just disappointed. And when we think about that disappointment, it's because we feel the weight of building our own kingdom. And it's way too heavy. It's filled with all kinds of frivolous expectations like, will my vacation live up to what I thought it would? It's filled with expectations like, Will my wife or my husband fulfill my needs the way that I would want them to? Will my job satisfy me? Will I get to the end of my career and have it achieved all the objectives that I wanted to for all of us achievers? Will I go all the places I want to go? You see, all these things that we're bombarded with, that we passively engage in and actively desire, Leave us with unspoken, unfulfilled expectations. And really what it's all about is seeking first my kingdom. And what some of us need to do this week, what some of us need to do this morning, is when we begin to sing, is to just do business with God and begin to tell him, God, I let go of my expectations of the way that I want my life and my kingdom to look like. And I give them over to you. And then to ask him to help you to seek his kingdom first. It's really practical. One of the most spiritual things that some of you could do is to go to lunch with someone today and to have a conversation about your unspoken expectations when it comes to God and his church and his work in your life. That could be one of the most spiritual things that you could do in your life is to just sit down with someone and voice your expectations. And then to give those things over to God and ask him to help you to seek first his kingdom, his activity in the world, and his righteousness, his activity in you. You'd be amazed at what just a conversation with someone, a conversation with God could do in your life today. You'd be amazed at how, how light your chest begins to feel, how your shoulders begin to go back, how you're able to start breathing again, how you're able to start sleeping again. See, this has so many practical applications. We could preach for another five weeks on this section. I'm not going to, I promise. Matthew chapter six is revolutionary when it comes to the culture that we live in. I'd encourage you the rest of this month, just dig, dig in Matthew six. And see if it doesn't change your life. 
because God has a better life for us. And that's seeking first his kingdom, his rule and reign, and his righteousness, his activity in me. Would you stand with us?